Today's episode is sponsored by Divine Social. Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, and DIY enthusiasts. They're behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. Just in time for the Black Friday Cyber Monday rush, the team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 203 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a quilting empire with my guest, Jenny Doan. Jenny is the smiling face of Missouri Star Quilt Company. Stitching together simplified quilts full of love and laughter, she makes quilting easier, more accessible, and friendlier than ever before. Watching her tutorials feels like coming home again. With over 750,000 YouTube subscribers and more than 230 million views to date, Jenny has sparked enthusiasm for quilting and warmed her viewers' hearts across the globe. When she moved with her growing family to Missouri over 20 years ago, she never imagined that someday they'd have a successful quilting business. Like many small towns across America, employment was scarce. So in November 2008, on a modest budget, the Doan family bought a building in Hamilton and started Missouri Star Quilt Company. At first, they offered basic quilting supplies and machine quilting services, but business picked up when they started posting videos of Jenny teaching quilting tutorials online. From that time on, her life changed forever. Almost 13 years later, Jenny now teaches quilting tutorials on YouTube once a week and continues to share her story everywhere she goes. It's a labor of love and a dream come true for her. Hamilton, Missouri has become a quilter's paradise, attracting visitors from around the world. With the help of Jenny's husband, Ron, her seven children and 25 grandchildren, the family business has grown to include an entire community. Here's Jenny. So Jenny, one question that I had for you was, um, does your business card really say Quilt Diva on it? (laughs) I heard that somewhere and I wasn't sure. It It really does. So in the beginning, my son made these funny cards for all of us. And his was like captain of the ship, you know, and mine was Quilt Diva. And while I've never in my life been a diva, you know, it does say that. And I think the, I actually think the newest one says that too. I rarely look at my cards, but uh, let me see if I can find one, see what it says. Oh, yeah. Quilt Diva. Okay. (laughs) So you are officially the Quilt Diva. And I know that you have a new book coming out, which I'm very excited about. It looks like it comes out in mid-October. So pretty soon it's called How to Stitch an American Dream, A Story of Family, Faith, and the Power of Giving. And I wondered if we could start out with you telling us a little bit about how this book came to be and kind of what readers can expect. Well, it came to be... uh, you know, I write a lot of stories for Block Magazine and tell the, um, you know, things that happened to my kids when they were little and that sort of thing. And and people have loved that. And uh, and I, at one point I said, I hope you guys are reading Block because it's like I'm chronicling your lives in here, you know. And then I think um, uh, my son thought it might be a good idea for me to um, to write a book about my life, about what brought me to this place. And and it's like, you know how you like say a thought and it's like almost it gets out there in the universe and, you know, things happen. And so the people who wrote Joanna Gaines' book approached me about writing a book. And I was like, I'm I'm not Joanna Gaines. I am just a quilter, you know. And they're like, yeah, but you have its big following. We think it'd be really cool. So uh, so they we chose a writer. You know, you have to go through the process. We chose a writer. And, um, and so uh, he came out and stayed with us or not with us, but, you know, we, we were together for about a week, just talking and telling stories and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And so we started putting this book together and writing this book. And 
honestly, for me, um, it's, it's one of the most, it's probably one of the most uh, amazing and terrifying things I've ever done. You know, I know Alan is super excited because this is not just a book about my life, but it's a book that will tell my children about my life and my grandchildren about my life. And there are things that have happened that I wrote about in this book that I don't know that I've actually ever spoken aloud. You know, things that happened to me early on in a marriage before this marriage, you know, where I, I just, you don't talk about those things. And so I was reading the book for audible. It was super emotional for me because I was reading those words out loud. And that was, that's a whole different thing than just, you know, packing them in a little box somewhere, you know, so. Yeah, that's wonderful. I I'm very, very excited to read it. I think that's great that um, you spent the time now just to chronicle your life in this way. So, so that's great. And people can take a look um, online for it in mid-October. So um, I, I wondered also, one of the things that's always struck me from watching your YouTube videos is um, the way in which you make quilting friendly and sort of not being afraid to be a real person who sometimes makes mistakes. And I, I thought about the, um, about Julia Child and there was a, a, a quote in an article in the Washington Post in 1992 about Julia Child that said, it wasn't that she could do no wrong, rather she made doing wrong so right. The more she faltered, the more viewers loved and trusted her. And I wondered if that resonates with you. Well, I think, uh, you know, I thought a lot about this and I think it really does for one. Um, But also I think that there's something about being able to learn a skill in the privacy of your own home, which happens on YouTube. You can learn and fail in the privacy of your own home and um, and and you don't have to come out until you're confident about what you can do. And I think that for so many people in this time of anxiety, you know, I mean, we I, I've just thought so much about the anxiety thing because that's a word you hear over and over now. And it used to be, oh, my stomach hurts. I just don't want to do this. My stomach hurts. You know, you'd hear your little kids saying things like that. And for me, that's um, it's become YouTube has become this safe place for people where they can learn and they can fail and they can try things. And if it doesn't work, it's no big deal. When I first started teaching, I would have a class and there would probably be half a dozen women in the class who who wouldn't sew at all because they were terrified to sew in front of me and make a mistake. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You, you know, you may have to worry about that with somebody else. But with me, I'm making the same mistakes. And so we're learning together and we're doing it. And I've always felt like the journey was super important as well. So, you know, people say, well, what about those first quilts? And I said, I honor them. That is where I began. You know, and if you sew an hour today, tomorrow you're an hour better. And that journey is so important. And we spend so much of our lives comparing what we do to other people. And I'm like, no, 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 you do not sew like the lady across the table from you. You sew like you. And so just keep sewing, keep practicing, you'll get better and better. I mean, I didn't square my blocks for many years. You know, there's just all kinds of things like that, that I just, I just, I didn't know there were rules. So I didn't know I was even breaking them because I just did it my own way. And um, my way, I'm very visual. You know, I, I quilt my pictures. So if I can look at a quilt and figure out how to do it, I'm good. But if I have to read a pattern, I'm not so good. So we had to hire people to write patterns for me and they write patterns from my project backwards. And, uh, and once I started squaring my blocks, they were ever so delighted because (laughs) then everything was the same, but you know, it takes a while to work into those. You know, we all start with the cheapest fabric, you know, because we don't know if we want to invest $10 a yard into something if we don't like it, you know? So we start with the Walmart fabric and the Joann's fabric and the fabric we got at a yard sale or whatever, because we want to try it but we're just not sure where it's going to go from there. And I think that if you love it, you find out very quickly and it, you know, progresses pretty fast. Yeah. I think you are just such a relatable presence in that way and that you're, you know, honest about not having squared your blocks for years or just being a human being. And it, it, there's no quilt police, you know, it feels very uh, approachable. I know somebody asked me the other day um, how often I changed the needle on my machine. And I said, I change it when it breaks. (laughs) They're like, and so then there was this big trunk show we had here in Hamilton and Karen Miller, who's an aura philosopher. She's just like amazing. And she does a lot of free motion quilting. And she's like, well, you should change it at least like every eight hours or every, and somebody said, well, Jenny says, you know, she says, shame on you, Jenny. And I'm just like, (laughs) we're all at different places of our development. Right. Now, if I free motion quilted as much as she did, I could really see how that would be necessary. But I'm a piecer, you know, right. Works together. Right, right. Um, So I wanted to sort of go back a little ways. um, 
And uh, ask you what brought you to Hamilton from California. Was it really just a totally random choice of sort of looking for a random place in the Midwest that was affordable? Or was there, had you heard about Hamilton or how did you get there? No, so we we didn't know anything about the Midwest, zero. I actually said to my husband, so what is the Midwest exactly? You know, because what was happening in California um, at time, that was, that was when the, uh, um, the interest rates were so high. Uh, everything is, you know, everything's very crowded. It was very hard. My husband was a mechanic. It was very hard to raise a, a family, nine of us on mechanic salary. You know, our, our house payment was unbelievable. The taxes was unbelievable. To get your car registered was over $1,000. Everything costs so much. Yeah. And, um, and, and the schools, um, we were in an area that had a lot of gang trouble. You know, we decided to homeschool our children at home and, um, and all of a sudden it's like, it just, all of a sudden everything felt really hard there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was like, well, gosh, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should think about moving someplace else. And I actually thought about moving someplace else in California, but, um, you know, the feel was then that we, we just needed to try something different. And so Ron said, well, what if we move in the Midwest? He had lived in Indiana for a few years and he loved Indiana and the Midwest and, um, and he, and so I, I thought, well, you know, the, we always do the bottom line and the worst that could happen is we would get there. We would feel like we'd made a terrible mistake. We would call it a vacation and we would come back, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, so we just decided to try it. And literally from the first couple of days within the first week, uh, and weird things, I mean, you know, the Midwest is not, it's not like California, it's a whole different lifestyle. And so that like the first house we rented, it had like, um, no floor in the kitchen and a sapling growing through the shower. You know, it's like people just walk out and leave them. You know, uh, we got into another house that had been abandoned for like 40 years and it was just full of trash. And, you know, we've always, we've never been able to afford a nice house, but we were always able to make our house nice. You know, we're, we're hard workers. And so we would paint and we would scrape and we would, you know, our first, um, our second house out here, we literally worked for labor. You know, we rent our rent was our labor and we showed, you know, we showed in detail to the landlord and uh, restored the house because we always do that. And and that was just such it was just I love watching that happen. You know, I love taking something that is, you know, falling apart and falling down and making it beautiful again. And uh, and so we've always done that, whether we've rented or not. And it wasn't too long after we got here before we found a house. But again, the house we found that we bought was a 4,000 square foot Victorian. It was um, $25,000. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and it probably wasn't worth that. You know, as a matter of fact, the realtor who sold it to me, she goes, make him an offer. It's not worth that. It's in terrible shape. I mean, the back, the back wall of the house was only plywood. He had sold off most of the woodwork, except for the big columns that were right inside the front room. You know, he had, uh, there was no floor in the kitchen. There was no porch on the front. And so, but we went in and, you know, we bought the house very cheaply. So we put about a hundred grand into it. So 125 and we've got this fabulous right. mission Victorian, you know, that's just. Which uh, 125,000 in California is not going to buy you a 4,000. No, no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, it's not yeah. just going to buy you anything. Yeah. And it became a much easier way for of life for us. It was a much more laid back, relaxed life. And we were here more than 10 years before we started Misery Star. Okay. And so we 95 and it was 2008 when we started Misery Star. So right. we come here with the idea that we were going to start a quilting mecca. We, you know, I wasn't even a quilter at the time. I was a clothing sewer and a costumer, but I did not, I'd never made a quilt. And well, actually I take that back. I had made a quilt. I had sewn squares together for my grandmother, but I didn't know I was quilting. I was just sewing squares for her. You know, I didn't know, you know, it was years later when I was like, oh my gosh, that is a quilt. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So then, so you're there, you're, you're there for a number of years um, with, you know, growing children. When did you first start quilting? Was it for a family occasion? No. So um, I actually went to the theater here in town. We have a little theater. And they would do a couple of shows a year, an adult show and a children's show. And I offered to be their customer because sewing is my thing. So you know how some people clean when they're mad? When I'm mad, I've got a whole new outfit, you know, <laughs> I'm just plowing through that thing. And so sewing is my go-to. It's what I do. And when your children get to be a certain age and um, they will no longer wear matching clothing, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't really want your homemade clothing. 
And so I went to the theater to see if I could costume for them and they did not need a costumer. And one of the ladies said to me, and I said, but I've got to sew and my children don't want to wear the clothing anymore, you know? And she's like, well, why don't you take up quilting? And literally, so I was 37 at the time. And I said to her, I said to her, you know, um, old people do that. And I don't think that's my thing. But I became intrigued by it because I had a neighbor, you know, when you live out on a farm, there are two houses and then there's like a mile and two houses and a mile, you know. They, and so our neighbor across the street, she was in her 80s and she was a quilter and she made these fabulous quilts. And I would go over, I went, when I would go to visit her, she would bring out these things and show me. And so I asked her if she would teach me how to quilt. And she said, sure. And I said, what fabric do I need? And she said, well, just scraps. And I said, okay. And I said, you know, I have a, my sewing machine is pretty heavy. Do you want to come to my house or do you want me to bring it here? What are you more comfortable with? And she goes, oh, I do all this by hand. And I said to her, I'm pretty sure I'm not ever going to learn to quilt with you. You know, I mean, I'm so ADD. (laughs) I got to do stuff fast. I have this huge family that I'm taking care of. And so if I sewed, it was in snippets of time, you know, just little, little pieces of And so we, um, so I, but I was intrigued by the fact that these beautiful things, it was like, they were like puzzles to me. And so, um, and I got an ad one day in, um, the mail came for the adult classes over in Chillicothe, which is 30 miles away and they were offering a quilting class. And so I thought maybe I'll take that. And I signed up and then I was so panicked about it because of the, I had to choose, like it said to choose like like seven types of fabrics. And I was, I didn't even, I I just didn't even know where to go. And so I actually called the lady, got in touch with her through two or three phone calls and convinced her to go shopping with me to show me how to pick out fabric. Because, you know, when you make a dress, you pick a fabric you like and make a dress, you know, it's not like you have to have things that are, you know, she had, she had words like lights and darks and mediums and, um, you know, a cotton and quilting cotton. And, you know, I mean, I was just like, Okay, I just need a little help through this. So she came and helped me choose it. Well, then when I um, I was making the blocks and it was the log cabin and I was making the blocks. And uh, when I got home, you know, when you teach a class, it's like, okay, we're going to put it together this way. And so when I got home, I turned those blocks and a whole new pattern appeared. And I was so astonished. You know, I didn't know there were books written about the log cabin. I didn't know there was a zillion ways to set it. But what happened when I turned those blocks was so amazing to me, hands down. Um, it was the most creative thing I'd ever done. And it was just, it was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I sewed them together. Well, then I realized I couldn't go back to the class without my blocks. So I made a new set of blocks. So literally at the end of the class, everybody was finishing their quilt. And I think I had made six or seven of them by then. I was just so, I mean, just amazed by what would happen when you started putting those blocks together. And even today, people say, what's your favorite quilt block? And I'm like, I don't have a block. What I have is that moment when you put the blocks together and you see something that you didn't know was there before. That unexpected secondary thing that happens, that's my favorite part of it right there. Uh, Tracy Reuter and our company is Divine Social. And what is Divine Social? So we are a uh, advertising agency. We're a digital marketing agency that helps and focuses um, on brands and businesses that sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, DIY enthusiasts, and we help them create successful digital acquisition strategies. Okay. So what does that even mean? So it's great that you specialize in this niche. So you're talking to makers, which is awesome. And you understand them. You're a maker yourself. Um, But what does all of that other part mean? So our specialty is when you're when you have your own storefront and you are trying to get people um, to go from never hearing about you to actually buying from you on your e-commerce storefront. We specialize in basically designing, if you will, um, the creative process to get people from never heard about you before to becoming raving fans. We've been serving the makerspace for over, gosh, five and a half years now. We're actually our team is been quietly behind some of the biggest brands in the space. And we have a tremendous amount of experience understanding the nuances of very tactile products. And we know a lot of times people want to touch and feel things, but we've really mastered how do you do it digitally? So if someone is if a company is wanting to really grow um, their direct to consumer, their whether it's Shopify or 
whatever it is that they they own. So not not necessarily an Etsy store or um, Amazon or something like that, but directly. Um, that's what we've been doing for the last almost six years now in this particular space. That's fantastic. Such a good resource to know about. Um, and how can people find you and be able to reach out to you? Well, if you are, our website is divinesocial.com um, and you can go there. And then if you go to divinesocial.com forward slash CIA, uh, for a limited time, we have a, an opportunity for people who are already doing direct to consumer and want to get our eyes on their store to find out what's preventing you from getting more customers. So That's definitely there. So valuable. Thank you so much, Tracy. My pleasure. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much, Divine Social. And now back to my conversation with Jenny. So you are in Hamilton. You're becoming a quilter, clearly off to the races with excitement about this. Um, and um, what just made you feel like, oh, I, I need to do this prof- in some professional capacity? Because lots of people become hobby quilters, you know, and they... And see, I didn't didn't have money or time for a hobby. I had a family. And so I'm very practical. And it was important for me to make things that were useful. And so I would make quilts for babies. I would make quilts for my children. I'm a piecer and I'm very fast. And so I wasn't worried about um, precision. I was worried about making things that would keep my family warm, that they could snuggle in, that I could give as a gift, you know, uh, that would save me some money uh, because I already had this fabric. And so... Um, that was what that was what spurred me on with quilting. I joined a little women's group um, over in Chillicothe, and I would go every Wednesday. And it was like um, for me having a house full of people and being able to leave the house and sew one day a week was like a gift from God. It was a little present, you know. I was just like, "Oh, you've just saved the lives of all my children," you know. It was- <laughs> So nice to be able to go someplace and do that. And they were wonderful mentors for me, really. They were wonderful mentors. They, um, I was saying, well, I just, I just did this. And they're like, oh, well, you can do it that way. You know, I mean, I just came at things. My brain does the shortcut thing because I have so little time. And so uh, I would, I came at things differently and they would be like, oh, oh, well, that's not how it's usually done, but it worked. It worked. So that that's good. You know, it's just like, but they were wonderful mentors for me. And, um, and so I started doing that and then, um, it got to be, uh, I, I mean, if you're a piecer, you have a bin of quilts ready to go to the quilters at all times. Yeah. But I, I could not really afford to get my quilts quilted on a regular basis. So I would, if I was giving one as a gift or something, I would save up and I would get it quilted. So, um, one day Alan was over and he said, he asked me what I was doing that day. And I said, well, I have to go pick up a quilt. And he said, well, what quilt is it? And I said, I don't really remember. And he said, why? And I said, because she's had it like for a year, I think it's a star one. Um, and he said, what do you mean she's had it for a year? And I said, well, the long armors get really backed up and then they stop taking them until they catch up, you know? And we had just, um, it was 2008, the market had just crashed and we lost all of our retirement. Now I live, you have to know this about me. I live in the present. I live right here and right now, and I'm very happy right here and right now. I'm not big at, oh, let's plan for this ahead. You know, I don't look back because I'm not going that direction. (laughs) You know, I just, I'm so happy right here in the present. And Al's like, you know, we were, he had been talking about what are we going to do about your retirement, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm sure we'll just have a job. We'll get a job. You know, dad and I'll keep working. It's not a big deal. You don't ever think in your brain that you're going to be too old to you know, because I could just go get a job and we'd be fine. We didn't need that much to live on, you know, and we had paid our house off and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I was just like, well, we'll be fine. And so he, so when this quilt thing came up, you know, the light went on in his head and he goes, well, could you do this? And I said, could I run a quilt machine? And I'm like, well, I can sew. And he's like, he's like, well, I wonder if you could do this because it seems like there's a need for this. And he said, I'm thinking if you could do a couple of quilts a week, then um, you could supplement your retirement. You'd have a little nest egg. And I'm like, huh, that's a really interesting thought. So he and Sarah, you know, after a little more conversation, he and Sarah actually decided to go together and get me a quilt machine. And um, when it came, it was too big for our house. So we had to buy a building and the building cost less than the machine did. But now, when, but when you have a building with a m- machine in it, it becomes a business. And so we decided that we would practice, practice, practice and see if we could you know, and then take other people's quilts to quilt 
And, um, and if we could make enough to pay back the loan on the machine and make enough to, uh, you know, get me enough, a little nest egg, that was the whole goal. Well, Alan is a computer kid. So um, if you have a computer kid and you're my age, you spend his whole childhood saying, get off that computer and go do something, <laughs> which I did regularly. Now we all work for him. I've apologized many times. <laughs> But he's the he's this computer kid. So we went right online to see what was happening with quilting online. Well, YouTube was only one year old. And there was a few little things out there that showed people's hands. There was no people. Quilting hadn't made the jump online. And so he came and he asked me if I wanted to do tutorials. And I said, well, sure, what's a tutorial? And he said, I want you to teach people how to quilt online. And so we started with this tiny little a video camera. It looked like one of those little old 110 cameras. And I would say things like, today, we're going to make a four patch. And he would stop me and he'd say, mom, I don't even know what you're talking about, you know, because we have our own language. And so I would say, all right, today, we're going to take four squares that are the same size. Two are going to be light, two are going to be dark. We're going to put a dark with a light and light with a dark. And it makes a block we call the four patch. And because he would stop me if he didn't understand, it made it very usable for beginners. And, you know, I mean, people started watching and YouTube is everywhere. It's huge, you know, and I actually fought with him I, at the time because it was only a year old. I said to him, Alan, pretty sure you don't want your mother on YouTube. That's where all the crazy teenagers are. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're going to have to trust me on this. It's going to be our center for learning. And I was like, Were you suspect that women your age in your, you know, fifties or, or older would right. get on YouTube because YouTube at that time, as you just said, was not a place necessarily one thought of going and, you know, in that age. Yeah, no, I had just turned 50 and, um, and I was just like, Alan, nobody my age is ever going to go to the computer to learn anything, you know? And he's like, you're just going to have to trust me on this mom, you know? And I couldn't see it again. I live right here, you know, right here, right now. And so, but he has always been able to project and, he's a risk taker and he's a forward thinker. And I mean, I would still be in that one building, honestly, if it wasn't for him. Yeah. So. He had kind of a bigger vision. And was, was this also driven by the feeling that like the local market in Hamilton and surrounding areas for what you were offering just wasn't quite big enough to sort of grow this business, this, this new long run business into something that was really going to do what you wanted it to do? So we had two or three long armors uh, in our area and they were all backed up a lot. And I think I just thought that if there, if I could just do a couple of quilts a week, you know, there was no, there was no goal of growing a business. We were just trying to do a couple of quilts a week, uh, you know, maybe four. So then two could pay for the quilt and keep the lights on. And the other two, you know, would go to me to help me build a nest egg, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and then people started calling and one lady called and she's like, so, you know, that fabric that you showed in your, in your video. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'd like to buy some of that. And I said, well, it's mine. And she <laughs> said, no, no, I want to buy some. And I said, we're not selling. It's my fabric. She said, well, then where did you get it? And I was, you know, I, would, I just was like, you know, cause I'm a, I'm pretty much a joker all the time, you know? And, and I was like, well, 1984, Ben Franklin. She's like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Nobody knows where they got that flat fold that's in the green bin. You know, I mean, we don't know. And so she, so I said to the kids, all right, we need to think about selling fabric, you know, and, uh, and they had been, um, you know, we'd been trying to get some fabric, some bolts and things like that, but we didn't want to go into debt either. And a whole line of fabric was 40 bolts, you know, and we didn't yeah. have to buy 40 bolts. And so um, pre-cuts were brand new and we went to market. And uh, literally, um, you know, we just we just came to market feeling like, huh, we were just kind of blown away, you know, because we thought we thought we could do this. And we were just like, mm. you know, there's a lady in front of us in line and she's like, well, I only had 80,000 to invest. And we we're just like, whoa, oh, well, right. <laughs> and so um, let's talk know. a little bit about that pre the pre cuts. Um, so so it sounds like you did you first kind of discover pre-cuts at quilt market or, or, and has really played a huge role in the success of, of pre-cuts. And it was because mainly it was because we could buy, you know, a dozen pre-cuts and then one bolt to do a border. And that was our project, you know? And so it didn't, so we, we had a, 
we were able to show all 40 fabrics without having to buy all 40 bolts. It was a way as a shop for us to get into the fabric market without having to um, extend ourselves and hope someone came to Hamilton to buy it because we really weren't selling uh, in Hamilton. I mean, there's not, it, it's not like there was, you know, I mean, we had, we had, uh, oh, I mean, we had lots of friends and things like that who would come and support us, but it's not like people are coming are going to drive out of their way an hour North of Kansas city to a tiny little farming community to go to a tiny little quilt shop, you know? And so, uh, so we, most of our sales were online, you know, once, once we had, once Alan built a website, we got an online presence and that sort of thing, you know, and all that happened, then, uh, you know, we made, we started making some, some sales online and that for us just kind of, you know, once that stone starts rolling, you know, and right. one of the first things that happens was we made this big mistake. So Alan put up layer cakes, um, and they were supposed to be like $28 and they were $8 and 88 cents. And we sold, we had only, we had only um, seven of them and we sold all seven like really quick. And Alan was like, oh, that was a mistake. Do I call them and tell them that surely they'll know that this, these are supposed to be much more. And I, we were, we all talked about it and it was like, well, we can call them and tell them, or we can let them think that we give really good deals, you know, and that's what we decided to do. And that really helped, you know, people, people like, oh my gosh, you've got to go to this site. They've got such good deals, you know? Right. And so that maybe that was the origin of the daily deal. Um, yeah. Right. Alan, loved, Alan loved Woot, which is a, if you're a, um, a computer guy, that's a daily deal site. And he loved that idea of it. And so he was the one who wanted to do the daily deal. And the problem with the daily deal for me is that it happens every dang day, you know, it's just, <laughs> so we now somebody's like, do you still do? And I'm like, no, no, no. We have a buyer for the daily deal. We have somebody who writes the story now, you know, because Alan, he would call me and he'd be like, Mom, it's eleven thirty. I need you to write the story, and I'm like, nope, my week was last week. You know, <laughs> right, right, yes. Just to clarify, there's like a little story next to the the fabric that's that's for sale that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So we still do the deal, and we can't. You know, we used to be we would just look around and we'd be like, well, we have ten of these. Let's put ten of these up. You know, obviously we can't just put ten up anymore. You know, so we we put thousands of them up, and we literally buy for the daily deal now. So it's, it's right. A- its whole own, uh, you know, <laughs> cog in the wheel. <laughs> right, right. And so, um, so people started watching you, as you said, YouTube is everywhere and all over the world. And it sounds like at that time, when you started around 2008, nine, there just weren't very many tutorials online either. Um, and so even though yours might have been a little bit rough in comparison to how, what they look like today, um, they were, you know, still really popular. And so, so people started to um to write you letters and also to kind of arrive in Hamilton to see you. Is that right? Yeah. And that was really interesting for me because I just thought I was sewing. And here, here are these people who had never been able to take a class. You know, some of the first letters I got were from people who were handicapped or homebound and they couldn't get out. You know, they couldn't take all their oxygen and paraphernalia. And we've all been to quilt shops. I mean, rarely do they have room for a wheelchair, you know, in the aisles. So they were just so thrilled that they could take a class, you know, and my whole goal, my whole thought process was if I can teach these people how to quilt, then they will send me their quilts to quilt them. And that's, that was how I was going to make money. So oh, I, would I teach. So them it was, uh, you're going to teach them how to piece the tops and then that's going to grow your long run business. Yes. And then they would send their tops to me to be quilted. And, uh, and so um, you know, as it went along, you know, that whole sharing of knowledge was a whole, whole uh, unheard of thing in the quilt industry. And, and for, for most people, you know, uh, not a lot of people were happy with me doing that. At I was going to ask as far as like, because, you know, usually I think prior to, to YouTube and to these videos, you know, you would go to your local shop, you would pay for a class and that's how you would access this knowledge. And so, by making it free and freely available, um, you're kind of undercutting, I don't know, or, or upsetting the, the business model that had yeah. been in existence prior to. Yeah, it's true. And um, and I my feeling was I can't control the price of fabric, but I can control what I do with this. And all I'm doing is telling them I'm not writing a pattern. You know, I'm not, you know, and there are so many things that were public domain and fun. And I just thought if, if, because if I can see it, I can do it. And I knew there was a whole set of learners out there that were visual. Sure. And, 
And so I thought this will be really good, you know, for those people. Plus, they'll let me do their quilts. You know, that was my whole my whole big thought process. You know, and um, and so so what's really interesting about it was that it was very very short into that where we people were saying, well, that's great that you're teaching us, but we want a pattern. And I'm like, no, 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 we're we don't want to do patterns. We just want to I just want to share this information with you. And they're like, no, we want a pattern. And so like even now, you know, I'll I'll call somebody up and I'll be like. I would really like to show your pattern on my tutorial. And they're like, well, will you show everything? And I'm like, yes, I will. And they will, you will sell tons of them. And some of them can't wrap their head around it. Right. Like I'm going to show all the steps, but people are still going to buy the pattern. And so not only do they want the pattern. So I decided that rather than writing a pattern, we would come out with a pattern book. So we came out with Block Magazine and it's just 10 patterns and it's for less than the price of one pattern. Because again, I am a mom who lived on a very small income and I wanted to be able to share this as economically as I could. And I said, Ellen, it's really important to me that we don't charge a ton of money uh, for something I feel like I'm telling them anyway, you know. And so I've been super proud of the fact that Block is a beautiful magazine and, you know, we've raised the price. It was $5.99. Now it's up to $7.99. But in, in 10 years, we've raised that price one time. And, it's and for still- 10 patterns at $7.99, 10 printed yeah. patterns is, is still a very good deal. And so then what happens is people buy one block to keep for good and then one, one for them to write in and work in, you know, and then they're buying the individual pattern plus, you know, and I'm just like, this is so fascinating to me because that wasn't my plan at all. But um, the people who generally what happens if people see a tutorial with a pattern, they want the pattern. Right. And they often want the exact fabric you're using. They do. They do. And so a lot of times I'll make another block in a different fabric and I'll be like, so this is what it looks like in solids. This is what it looks like in Christmas, you know, because they, they see that, but that's also, a, we buy for those tutorials, you know, and so, right. um, so that people can buy that fabric. Um, but I feel like, you know, people always ask me, they're, they're getting ready to open up a shop, you know, and they'll say, they'll say, you know, do you have any advice for me? And my two advice, number one is be nice. You know, I think the number one reason shops close is because people aren't nice. We've all been in shops where they yeah. feel, you feel like you're putting their, you know, you're putting somebody out if they have to cut your fabric. They don't say hello to you. They don't talk to you. It, may, it feels really uncomfortable. And um, and there are options for them now. People can go right online, but they're always going to go to brick and mortar first. And the 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 second thing is that um, uh, to be generous. You know, I mean, if you are so worried about that inch of fabric when you're cutting it that you know, I mean, there's nothing that hurt that hurts my heart more than going to a store and having them be so exact that you're afraid if they cut it wrong, you're not going to have enough. You know, um, I mean, be be a little generous, you know, with what you can be generous. And I can be generous with my knowledge and um, and uh, and and, you know, and we try to involve other quilters as well so that, um, you right. know, actually this year I'm actually doing. I've actually found quite a few patterns that I love that other people are doing. And I'm like, can we just sell this pattern for you like crazy, you know? And they're like, okay, you know, but they'll say, no, no, I don't want you to do that. You know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's, it's all right. But you know, I love being able to boost other people's business as well, you know, and if, and if I show it, they're definitely going to get a boost. Right. Right. Oh, of course. Um, And did you have on stage, um, experience in your life prior to being on camera for YouTube? Had you, and you, you talked about the theater, um, the local theater, had you performed in theater yourself or had on stage experience? So I, I sing and, um, and I always thought, uh, I always thought that was something I would do, you know, as a thing. And, um, um, and so I have been on stage, you know, I've done a lot of musical theater and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I enjoy it. I do enjoy it very, very much. But as you get older, you have less control of your voice, you know, that control goes. And so, you know, I don't do a lot of that anymore. But I do. I'm, I've never been shy. I'm an extrovert. I'm a talker. Yeah. You know, I get up and talk in front of anybody and I don't need preparation, you know. Uh, yeah. And um, is, it, is it odd now? I mean, 
you're what we call a celebrity, right? So you're a, you're a, you're a celebrity within the the quilting world, and I yes, imagine when you travel places, um, you know, there's a contingent of people who who immediately recognize you, come up to you, know exactly who you are, very excited to see you, and yet there's probably a, a a fairly large contingent of people who have no idea who you are because they're not at all in the quilting world. And so, um, and so they, you know, you say your name and and they just don't blink. They don't know, you know, so is that, is that an odd feeling to have like you're, you're a celebrity in certain circles and then in other circles, you know, you're just a regular, a regular citizen. You know, I've often thought about how people who are like legitimately famous across the globe, right. Have- how, uh, how tough that would be, because I can still go out unnoticed largely, you know, I mean, if I'm in, if I'm in an airport, you know, when I walk on a plane, it's rare that the stewardess doesn't say, I know who you are because anybody who's in a high stress job, they are, they do some sort of creating because it's so good for them. Doctors, like I did tell a doctor during COVID, I called a doctor and he goes, are you the Jenny Doan? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm my gosh, you're my doctor, you know? And so um, so it is, I do still get recognized, uh, uh, fairly often, but I, but I can pretty much, um, escape when I need to, you know, and, right. and which often my personality is very well suited for this. You know, I love, I love being out there. People regenerate, you know, I get regenerated from people. And so yeah. I, I enjoy all of that, you know, but, um, but I do, uh, I do, I am glad that there are times I can just go to the grocery store and hundred percent. Exactly. It's, it's, it, I never it's forget, but I never forget that somebody could recognize me. Uh-huh. So I don't go out in, you know, pajamas. <laughs> right. And I think it's also interesting the degree to which um, Missouri stars uh, growth and success has been driven by your children. You know, it seems like um, getting you into business to begin with, buying the long arm was something that your children suggested to you, and then building the online shop um, and doing YouTube. And just so much of it was them kind of looking at you and what you were doing and and suggesting or taking on new um, new responsibilities there. Do you see that, that it's really so, dri- so driven by them? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. I see it all the time. And uh, it's one of those things that we all joke about, you know, how they're exploiting their mother and that sort of thing, you know, but, but the bottom line is we couldn't do any of this without each other. You know, um, my children are also different and they're able to carry the business that they're part of the business in a way that nobody else can. And so it's pretty amazing to watch them all in action because they've all got really incredible talents and nobody's no two are alike. You know, I, I do love that. And Hamilton is one of the poorest um, counties in Missouri, as far as I understand it. And, um, and, and you're now Missouri Star is one of the largest employers in, in the county, it sounds like. Um, and so how does that feel for you as, as you know, sort of really changing the way that um, the economy uh, functions? For me, it is just one of the sweetest things. And I feel that responsibility very heavily. Um, we just had our birthday bash. And so I just, we just take every year in birthday bash, we take this employee picture and I mean, it's like 450 people oh, wow. all in there. You know, our photographer, he never gets to be in it, although he is also employed, but he's way up on a ladder so that we can see everybody. I mean, it's just, and to look at all those people and to know, know that, um, you know, you're responsible for, for the fact that they have a job and that they can support their families. It, it, it feels it feels amazing. And, um, you know, that, that responsibility is so great, you know, because it's, you know, you just, you just, I mean, you just keep hoping, you know, I was talking to, I was on a walk this morning and one of my neighbors stopped me and, you know, and he asked me that same question, you know, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, I'm like, well, it, I said, I'm, I'm aware, very aware of the, uh, of, of all the things that that entails, you know, that, that if, if anything, you know, if, it, if something goes wrong in the company, it affects more than just me and my family, you know, it affects a community. And so yeah. we, we work very hard to, um, you know, do we misstep? Sure. But, but the thing I love about our company and our family particularly is we're totally transparent. Okay. We didn't know. Sorry. We'll try again. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as a mother, I was the same way, you know, never, not one day did I get up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to be a bad mom. 
you know, but sometimes at the end of the day, I said, today didn't go so well. Sorry, guys, we'll try again tomorrow. You know, I mean, it just, you just do the best you can and, and, and you only know what you know, you know? And so, uh, so for us, it's, you know, we try really hard to keep on top of the stuff, but. And you were saying that you were on a walk this morning and I've noticed um, just watching you Dave Friday over the past year, you've made some really significant health strides um, and are out there moving, walking. Um, uh, and, you know, you, you're, you, you've lost quite a bit of weight. It looks like just from looking at you um, in pictures. And so I wondered if you could talk about what um, maybe prompted that and how that's been going. I would say, I would say really it's COVID um, because I don't, I am not good at self-care. I wake up running and I kind of wear busy like a badge. You know, I've got to be busy. I've got to be going. I don't take time to eat well. So, you know, I'm traveling all the time. So I eat fast food three times a day and I'm doing, you know, all this stuff and all of a sudden COVID hits and I have to actually stop and slow down. And so I'm like, well, I'll make all the doctor's appointments. I'll make all that, you know, and, um, and I really wanted to start doing some, some self-care where I actually sit down in the morning, read something, have a cup of tea, have a, you know, do a little thinking none of that has been very successful for me, but I walk, (laughs) I started walking and we started eating way better. We started intermittent fasting. We started sharing a meal and then sharing half of a meal. And, um, and so we're, we're just, we just are trying really hard to improve the quality of our lives. And, uh, I just, um, I just feel so much better. I feel so much healthier. And I know for, for people who have that racing brain, like I do, it offers you the walking, particularly, you know, it releases those hormones that yeah. give you that peace, you know, that, that help you feel that peace about halfway through the walk. I'll like take a deep breath and I'll be like, okay, well that just kicked in. That feels really good. You know? Yeah. And, so, and I have a friend that's helped that walks with me. So that's really helpful. Right. And you've been sharing it sharing this progress and these walks and things on your Facebook page. And I don't know if that's you updating it or if it's somebody on your staff updating it, but I do feel like it. That's my page. So it's you. Okay. That's you writing those posts. And um, I feel like it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's a kind of role model to say like, get out there and and move and, um, and be active. So many people this last week said to me, um, we, you're, what you're doing is so inspiring. And I just, I didn't even, and again, I live right here in the present. So it didn't occur to me that what I was doing was inspiring. I was kind of proud of myself for doing it, you know? And, um, and I remember at one point, you know, I was like, let's just take a selfie and put this up. And Cherry was like, we don't have any makeup on. We don't, we're just out of bed (laughs) six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I don't think anybody cares. And this is just really, you know, this is just really for us. I want, we need to document this, you know? And so, and people were just really inspired by the fact that we were really willing to put it out there and, yeah, uh, do it. And I, um, it's, yeah, it, I, I like, I like on um, birthday bash last week, you know, we had several, so we walk for about an hour and a half. It, we walk about four miles a day and, uh, and generally, um, I'm to work by about nine and we had several mornings during birthday bash where we had to be here like at eight. And so I'm like, didn't do my walk. And I was just like, oh, I just felt like I was like sluggish and you know, your body gets used to that. Do it. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. doing it in the morning. I am not one of those who can say, oh, I'll take a walk after dinner because I will find a million excuses. Plus there's something about doing it first thing. And the whole rest of the day, you're like, you know, no matter what you accomplish or don't accomplish, you're like, you know what? I walked four miles today, you know? And so even though you, maybe you get nothing else done of consequence, but you did something big and it's already over. You know, I love that. And can you talk a little bit um, before we get to your recommendations about um, how Missouri Star handled COVID as far as um, yes. did you see uh, an influx of online orders at the same time as having to close all the shops in Hamilton? And how did you survive this? So so we did. So we actually shut down our shops. And that was largely the decision was made because we have a large Amish and Mennonite community and their medical thing is a whole nother thing. But we realized that one person coming from someplace else could take out our whole community, essentially. 
And so we decided to close down those shops and we had all those people go out to the warehouse and we weren't exactly sure what we were going to do. We just knew we didn't want to lay them off. Um, I did the mask video and um, we became, we were selling fabric for masks and we became essential for that. But people were home now and our business literally picked up in the warehouse about 40%. Wow. And it was, it was just a miracle to me that we didn't have to lay a single person off and we never actually stopped hiring. And that was a huge, huge, amazing thing. And, um, and I got a letter here just recently um, from a girl who was thanking me for the mask tutorial. And she said, I had made this many masks and I know so many people who had made so many masks. And she says, I just wonder if you've ever thought how many lives did I save by making masks or making that video. And I said, I've never even thought of it, you know? And I was just like, I just sat back for a moment and took that in and took in the, you know, all the people who watched the video and any mask video and made masks. I mean, you know, I, uh, I said to gals at birthday bash, I'm like, how many of you made masks, you know, and, and everybody raised their hand, you know, and it's like, we've made literally hundreds of thousands of masks and, It was an incredible, incredible moment for sewing. It was just incredible. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so that's really for us um, how uh, we got through it. The thing that was cool for me at the warehouse is that we had people who were able to, every department out there had its own pathway there walked, their own bathroom they went to, their own uh, break room that they went to, and their own door that they walked in and out of. And so we were able to, not only were we able to protect our employees in that way, but if somebody did get exposed to COVID, it was that pod that was exposed. It wasn't the whole thing. And so I was just super proud of them. Like we haven't been able to even be out in the warehouse even yet because we are, we're an in-town team. And so one of the things that makes me sad about that is I know we've hired a lot of people and I haven't got even to meet them yet because they're, they're out at the warehouse. And so, you know, we're, we're looking forward for that time, but you know, people would always say, well, look at all that families all together and they're not wearing masks. And I'm like, we were very careful to quarantine together. And I did three of my children and their families did get COVID and we would all then quarantine separately. And then, you know, as we could, we got back together again, but we didn't have, we didn't have Christmas. Yeah. We didn't have Thanksgiving together you know, and we are a close family. We all live right here. And so it was tough. There was some tough times. Yeah. And so do you have plans for your future? I mean, in a way, this business started out as an effort to build some retirement savings. And now I do wonder, you know, it was almost a, a retirement business. And yet you're it now it's, it's so it's so enormous. And so all encompassing that, I, I wondered if you ever do plan to retire. So I, I probably will. Re- I, my husband has retired. You know, I say that in quotations because he says he's just retired. He's tired over again, you know, because now he's everybody's gopher. You know, he does all the running and he still he still helps with buildings. He still helps me. He does all kinds of stuff, but he does what he wants to do, you know, and I would like to honor his retirement and enjoy that with him. We bought a trailer this year. We go out camping once a month and that's really nice. But um, eventually I will retire. So part of my uh, my thought process on that is I brought Natalie and Misty in, and we do a triple right. play a month, the third, third Friday of the month, three ideas. And that's been hugely successful. And I would love to see us grow our cast of characters. And so everybody learns to a different style and a different brain type. And so, um, well, if we bring somebody on, while she may not be, or he may not be your favorite person to learn from, somebody is going to click with them and be able to do that. And I think if we have a big enough cast of characters that Missouri star can keep going and keep functioning, even, even when I decide not to, my kids say that I'm going to be like Betty Crocker. My face is just going to be on everything forever. And I'm like, okay, well, choose a young one. Choose a nice one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that is a, a it's almost a, a risk in some way, right. Where you are the face of the business and, so trying to to diversify that base so that there's more faces. Yes. Um, yeah. And then also the content is big for me. So I do a tutorial every week of my life and have for more than 10 years, which is about over 800 bits of information. And so even for a new sewer, when they come on, if you actually connect with me, I mean, those videos are going to live on. And so 
Right. Uh, so I think that will also be good. And so that has not stopped in any way, shape or form. As a matter of fact, that's picked up because now once a month you get three ideas, you know? And so, uh, so we're looking at different things like that. And also we'd like to help do for some of the other crafting communities um, because people who are quilters generally, at least a third of them cross over into the other fiber arts. There's knitters, crocheters, embroiderers, you know, we all do other craft things. And so um, Alan did, he did Let's Make Art, which is watercolor, where he's done, kind of done for watercolor, what, what he did for quilting. Then we also just opened up One Big Happy Yarn Company. They have their own face, somebody doing tutorials, giving away that information and selling yarn. They each have their own store here in Hamilton. But we'd like to do that for more entities in the craft world. Because a lot of times, you know, if you're like into crafts, like if you walk into a craft store, like a big box store, you're going to feel so overwhelmed. You know, there's like, it's like, but when I do a tutorial, I'm like, this is the fabric I use and you can buy this fabric and this is how you do it. And it makes it doable rather than saying, here are 80,000 fabrics you can choose from. Good luck, you know? And so, so I think back to that first quilt that you made in, in the class, Right. Or you ask the shop owner to shop with you exactly just right. because right, right there. That's a great example. Yeah. And the, and the pre-cuts, the pre-cuts are so handy for beginners. Well, I still use them. So my, my, um, my talent is not choosing fabric and putting it together. I am a matcher. And so my quilt fabrics all look very much the same when I put them together. So my quilts, if I were to rely on my own skills, they would look very blah. But because I have a designer working for me, every time I open up a pre-cut, I've got geometrics and florals and solids and background, you know, and they know how to put that all together so it works. I mean, for a long time, I didn't trust them. And I would pull out the ones I thought were ugly. You know, Sarah was like, no, you've got to use them all. And I'm like, "Ah," you know, Um, but now uh, I really I'm so grateful for that because I just trust. I mean, this is going to work. It's all going to go. I don't know how it works. Not to mention, you don't have to be such a skilled cutter. I know for a lot of people, myself included, that part's really tedious and difficult. Mm -hmm. So to have it pre-cut for you is also brilliant. Well, it's huge. And like our beginning quilters, like we have 4-H'ers and we give them a layer cake and we have them practice sewing straight on a line with no thread or anything. They just have to practice until they can stay straight on the line. And then they start sewing those layer cakes together. They sew it six together and they have a row. They do that seven times and they have a quilt and they feel very accomplished by the fact that they made this thing, you know, and, uh, and once you have that feeling, once you realize, because it doesn't matter what the, what block it is, you're still only sewing straight from here to here, you know, two inches. If you can sew straight for two inches, you can make anything at all in quilting, you know, and so there's nothing more motivating than that success, you know, to have that first success. Uh-huh. Then you're addicted and, and you want to do more, you know, like that first log cabin that you made where you saw it. Yeah. And I always say, if you don't do anything else, if you can't afford anything else, that very first quilt, get that machine quilted. Because when they see it machine quilted, all of a sudden they're just like, I can't believe I did this. It takes simple squares and it just gives it a life. And I'm not sure how it works, but it just becomes amazing. And uh, I, I still have grandchildren who are like, I can't believe I did this, you know, and they look back at those little quilts and it's, you know, it's just amazing to them. So Jenny, can you recommend, um, recommend a, a something that you would, you're enjoying right now that you think a, a creative friend would, would also enjoy? So one of my favorite books that I'm rereading right now, and I love, love, love is Big Magic. It's oh, by Elizabeth yeah. Hubert, and it's just such so good for creatives to read that. It's just a phenomenal book. The other thing I'm doing right now is I'm doing a lot of crumb and scrap quilting. Like I just made a scrappy, I took all my little pieces of my uh, bindings and, um, and made a giant piece quilt. It's called piece in pieces. And I auctioned it off for birthday bash, but it's beautiful. I'm also taking little strips of uh, colors and making these long table runners that I can put over my island. They're skinny. They're only about, I'll show you one right here. They're only about nine inches wide. They're just skinny little runners. Yeah. You sit it on your counter. Cause I have, um, it doesn't overwhelm your counters and things like that. It's just this little bit of color. Right. And, so, and I'm doing, um, I have a whole bin here of inch and a half strips and I just finished a crumb quilt 
you know, where it's just all the tiny little pieces sewing together. And I just feel like that for me is so creative because, because I'm not a waster and it's like taking all those pieces of things that all those leftover bits and giving them purpose. And, um, and I love that. And so I've just been doing a ton of that recently. And I think it's very therapeutic for one. And I've been, when I'm busy and stressed, I always tend to do, you know, I'll come in every day and make, you know, a couple of these blocks where it's just tiny pieces pieces of stuff sewn together. And it, it has that feel of, um, of, a of, um, uh, you know, just that it's just totally improv. There's no, there's no, I'm no reason for it. There's no directions. You can't get it wrong. You know, right. Probably the the one other thing I'm doing right now that I'm super enjoying is that I have a sewing buddy and we get together again once a week. And, um, and that helps keep me going. I let her pick the patterns because I do that for a living and, uh, and she will choose patterns often that I would never make, you know, they're not Jenny don't easy. Um, they're much smaller pieces sometimes, and it really forces my brain to think in a different way, which I think is also very healthy because all of our brains get in a rut. We, you know, what's ever's easiest for us. And I think that that just is super good, you know, for my brain to just think in a different, think how somebody else quilts, you know, I do. Yeah. Like, yeah I get back into that novice chair too sometimes and have that absolutely. feeling. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, now what am I supposed to do here? Do you know this is only one inch? You know. <laughs> well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was just wonderful talking with you. Oh, I love it too. Thank you for having me. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Divine Social. Divine Social is a marketing agency that helps e-commerce stores who sell to makers, creators, crafters, artists, and DIY enthusiasts. They're behind some of the biggest brands in the creative industry, responsible for strategies to move your online traffic from prospects to buyers to raving fans. Just in time for the Black Friday Cyber Monday rush, the team at Divine Social is offering a customized review of your shop to help you uncover what's keeping you from selling more. Go to divinesocial.com backslash CIA for more details. Thank you so much, Divine Social. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.